Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast, where we dive into the melding of fathership and entrepreneurship with your host, the original Biz Dad himself, Adam Labar. Adam is a Christian, a former Air Force officer, a dad to three amazing kids, a coach, a real estate investor, and a business owner. On this podcast, he'll explore the unique journeys of amazing dads who are striving for greatness in both business and family. So whether you're a dad who is an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a man striving to be a better dad, get ready as the Biz Dad brings you conversations to inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a better dad and entrepreneur. And now, here's Adam. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast. Uh, today, I'm excited to have... Uh, this is the first like uh, good military friend of mine that I'm having on the podcast. Um, most of them are... Most of the people that you've you've heard already are from GoBundance and, you know... Um, uh, straight entrepreneurs, but uh, this is a, a pleasure to be able to have somebody who I got to serve with as well as uh, um, learn a little bit about how he was doing as a dad, what he was doing as a dad when we were in the military together, and then um, kind of uh, pushing forward and seeing him run businesses, which I did not know if he was doing before, but we'll get into some of that. Um, but seeing him run business stuff as well, it's been exciting to kind of uh, uh, learn more about Dan as we move forward. So uh, today we have Dan Reed on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to to uh, learning a little bit more about him. We spent um, a, a lot of time together for a, a short period of time um, in uh, in OTS. We were both prior enlisted folks and went into officer training and then did that for a while and uh, um, became good friends there. Um, and here we are years and years later uh, doing a podcast together. So, uh, Dan, if you can, tell uh, the three people listening what uh, what it is that... Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, uh, what kind of businesses uh, you run, your family, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, I mean, we've got a long time, so... Yes, uh, that was back in 2013, a decade ago now, uh, yeah. coming up at the end of this year, it was a decade, and it's crazy. Uh, time really, really does fly, especially the more, the, the more you age. But um, when I first came in the military back in 1999, uh, I came in and enlisted as a TACP, uh, did that for about 13 years, Just made it up to Master Sergeant, and um, throughout that time, um, my wife and I had four kids and uh, several dogs along the way. You might actually hear some of them running around upstairs. Hopefully I told my dogs to keep them quiet, but we'll see. Likely not. Um, but during that time, I finished my bachelor's degree, my associate's degree, and started my master's degree all before I went to OPS. And then when you and I met there, um, my intent was to go into uh, aircraft maintenance. And so mm -hmm. I had no no prior experience on aircraft maintenance at all. And and then I transitioned uh, from OTS and went out to Davis Monica for my first assignment there. Inevitably, um, went back into, um, or I came into program management. I did a career broadening board which left us here in Ohio, and that's where we, we will, uh, my wife and I will retire. So um, as far as business goes, uh, I never actually started a business until we, we moved to Ohio. and. Mm -hmm. This was probably my sixth or seventh home that we had renovated. Um, it's something that I really enjoyed. I loved to get into plumbing, electrical construction, etc. I built all the going away gifts for all of our military units, 
carpentry is kind of one of my passions. And so that's what inevitably led to me starting Reed Custom Woodworks back uh, about three or four years ago. Uh, and since then, it's been kind of an on-demand type uh, business where I have a, quite a decent following. Most people will uh, request something from me quite often. Um, and I've also started another business, which was Core Outdoor Innovations. Worked on that one last year, actually the last three years. And uh, that was primarily for building decks, outdoor property structures, patios, retainer walls, you know, that kind of thing. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, had a pretty decent crew, um, but inevitably had to um, discontinue that business until the end of last year. But yeah, running several businesses. My wife also runs her own business. She's a realtor here in Dayton. Uh, she was number two in her brokerage her first year. She's killing it. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if she was honestly the probably the number one rookie in the state of Ohio. Nice. Uh, last year. And so she's definitely found her passion. Um, and, it, and it's been absolutely awesome. But yeah, raising four kids, running a couple of businesses, working full time in the military uh, is not an easy life. And it's something that we've, we've had to struggle with and learn to manage and, and work together on in order to make it happen. So that's kind of my last 20 years or so in a nutshell. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. That's, uh, um, I didn't think that I'd remembered us. I mean, it, it, when we went to OTS, I wasn't really thinking about business much either. So that wasn't really on my brain, but, um, uh, and who would have thought that I would have, uh, you know, started helping run companies and do different things. I would have never, if you would have talked to me then thought that that would be the case. Real estate was something I was looking at, but not like actual operating businesses and whatnot. But, yeah. um, so I want to, uh, back up even farther in, in your life. Um, and kind of talk, chat about your dad, your upbringing, um, if you can kind of uh, clue me in a little bit on that. I don't think you and I have really ever chatted about that anyway, so I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit about your dad, who he was, um, how you felt the upbringing, uh, you know, what you thought about your upbringing, what you remember most, what you, you know, and, and we'll just kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So my dad is definitely my hero in life. Um, he is somebody that I've learned how to be a dad from. Uh, my work ethic is from modeling what my dad has done. Same with school. Uh, prioritizing certain things in your life um, is all basically from what my dad's experience were. So to understand my dad, you have to understand his background. And he was, he grew up very poor. Um, his parents grew up on the railroad. They actually lived in a railroad car. And they traveled with the railroad uh, wherever it went as they built, um, built a new uh, system. So they didn't really um, make a whole lot of money. Um, they were probably happy in life. But they had all the sustenance and everything that they needed. But aside from that, um, there, there's probably no extra income. And my dad, growing up through high school and college, he did not want to be poor. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not like that life. He was very, very determined to change his family tree, if you will. Um, so he went through uh, in high school basically doing gymnastics his entire four years. And his goal was to try to get a, a scholarship to one of the bigger schools so that he could become an engineer and have somebody else pay for it. Well, he got accepted to the Air Force Academy. So he went to the Air Force Academy for, I think, two years. Um, and based on who he was, at that time, you know, the Air Force Academy was very political. 
Um, probably still is. Uh, but he didn't know any congressman. He didn't. His family was not very high profile. They told him that he was not going to be a pilot, which is what he really did. So he quit the academy, went to the University of Arizona, got a civil engineering degree there. And him is my him and my mom uh, got married in Tucson, which is where I was. So the trajectory from my dad at that point significantly changed. He went from Arizona, uh, and we moved out to Kentucky, where he was basically working in the coal mines as a maintenance superintendent. Worked his way all the way up to vice president. He even went to, got his master's uh, in business while he was working there. Uh, it took him a few years because he was still working 100 hours a week, and he was taking night classes. So we would only see him a couple days of the week um, as he was doing that 400-mile route from work to school and back home. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the kind of guy that would get up at 4 a.m. and come home at 7 p.m. every day. Um, he was very motivated to get his schooling work done. He was motivated to provide for our family. And it didn't matter what the sacrifice was. Uh, he was going to make it to ensure that the family tree on our side, our direct family, would change forever. Nice. And that is something that you don't see really anymore. That's kind of a different generation. Um, our family has forever been changed. My brother, uh, my youngest brother, Dylan, went to the academy. He's now an aeronautical engineer with his MBA. Um, my other, my young middle brother has his doctorate in pharmacy and a master's in um, uh, physician's assistant in surgical. And I ended up getting my uh, a degree in business and then a master's in theology. And none of us are even anywhere close to what it was like when he grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he struggled to get a baseball glove. He couldn't afford that. He, I mean, he had to he had to borrow whatever he needed to go to school. Nowadays, I mean, our families are completely different. Uh, yeah. We have my kids have wanted for nothing. We've always provided for them, uh, but the mindset is still there. It's one of those things where what I learned from him is um, you have to provide for your family. You have to do whatever it takes to ensure that your family is is cared for. You have you know all the necessities. You have transportation, food, housing, clothing, security. These are the things that I wanted to always strive to provide for my family. And it's one of those things that you always wake up in the middle of the night scared that am I doing enough? Right? Am I am I actually doing enough? Am I modeling what my dad taught me uh, in order to make sure that my family is always where they should be? And even today, um, he's still in his mid-60s. He's still working. He's a, kind of a big deal down in Florida. Um, and he's, he's still killing it. And still providing for my mom. Um, yeah. Great grandfather. Awesome. Great dad. Um, yeah, there's, there's only one thing that I would change about our entire childhood. is It would have been nice to be able to spend more time. You know, yeah. But again, he, his motivation was to set us up differently in life, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, there's. I don't remember who it was that I I I don't remember who it was that I was listening to. I think maybe Ed Milet or something like that, um, where he talked about there's there's somebody in the family tree like that that is going to break it. It's got like there's that cycle, um, and this is a, a different a different cycle, but uh, where. The, there's this, I don't know, picture of a dad beating his son and then his son growing up, 
and beating his his son and then the son grows up and it just this this cycle of the abuser turns into the abused the turns of the and then somebody has to break the cycle right yeah. and where you know we're talking about something financially not necessarily abuse wise right but um if if you don't have somebody that comes in then it, it better be you right where you had somebody that you got to look up to and say wow he really changed the family tree and now i have the opportunity to c- continue to pass this on um you know and uh, tell me like uh, when you're looking at your kids and you're saying okay well they've wanted for nothing you know my my father changed my family tree to the point where now i am to be where i'm at that my kids want for nothing um so he he did that now what are like have you thought through what it is that you are instilling in your kids on purpose to make sure that they understand to keep that change going so that it doesn't turn into, oh, well, now now they turn into uh, you know a bunch of spoiled millennials that don't know how to um, do anything or Gen Zers that don't know how to do anything. And I'll like, what, what are you doing to kind of say or what have you done or anything to say, okay, this, these are the things you need to do. Because I know like what, back in the day, we talked about your... Um, uh, at least one of your kids being in the Boy Scouts and like in, instilling some of the uh, that sort of drive and everything, you know. And that's, I mean, that's very much you, anyways. You loved all that that uh, outdoor stuff and all of that, all of that. But I'd love to kind of hear what your thoughts are on that, as far as ensuring that you're keeping that for the next generations, that they don't lose that uh, that sharp edge. Yeah, and I think that's an extremely important point. Um, when I said that my kids didn't want for nothing, that doesn't mean that they get everything. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? And so. Um, my son has been working, uh, since he was 15. And so I, even when I first started my, my first business, uh, he was my first employee. He was employee number one. And so I taught him instruction trade. I taught him work ethic. I taught him how to report to a boss, which, uh, which isn't great, right? Whenever you're, the boss is also your dad. It doesn't, you don't necessarily get, um, the entire impact of having a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may have been a little rougher on him than probably some other boss would be, uh, but I also expected more of it, right? I wanted him to be our, our best employee. I wanted him to learn all these trades because it's not even if he doesn't go into the construction business, even if he doesn't do engineering, at least he understood what work ethic is. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is the exact same way. I brought her out on many construction sites and she would come out there and work with us. Um, since then, uh, Jack, my oldest son, um, he's been, he's had several jobs. Uh, he worked with an engineering company last summer. Uh, right now he's working for a local grocery store called Dorothy Lane. Um, he works over in the seafood and meat department and he works four days a week. Uh, he also goes to school full time during the summer. Uh, my daughter uh, works about every single day as doing babysitting um and each time that one of them wants to buy something they have to buy it themselves nice. in fact i'm not going to I mean, christmas birthday you know but if they want something they have to earn it so my son pays for his own insurance he pays for his own gas uh he pays for any maintenance that's on the vehicle and my daughter will do the exact same thing um i ensure that whatever responsibility uh, that they are going to need as an adult is implemented early in life. Uh, I think it's critical that they understand that their their actions and their decisions have consequences. So if my son ends up spending his entire paycheck eating, you know, burgers and fries, mm-hmm. he doesn't have enough money for insurance, guess what? He doesn't get to drive. Yeah. So, yeah, I can afford to pay for his insurance, but that ain't happening. Yeah. So he has to, they both have to understand what, what the 
the value of a dollar is primarily, but two, how hard is it to actually earn that dollar? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yep, I've, I've instilled all of that. But aside from work ethic, uh, what I think that my dad taught me uh, also, and my mom did also, but it's, it's, it's integrity, right? It's the, it's the type of character that you are. What type of human do you actually want to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to be somebody who's lazy and they, yeah, they can go to a job and they can pay for all their bills? Or do you want to excel in life? There's a difference. So there are people who are very passive in this world, and they go and they, you know, they work, they pay their bills, but they're not excelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I expect that the children in my family will excel in life, and they will be better off than we are. Uh, have, we have turned out to be. And um, that's a very difficult thing to teach, is what is um, not only the value of, of hard work, but doing it as a responsible adult, doing it who's, with somebody who who holds on to the, the ethics and the morals that I believe that God has instilled in us. And, um, yeah, just teaching them to be good people. And so my dad was also a deacon in our church. And so um, we, were in, we were in church every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ensure that our, our kids are in church every week. Um, they're very active in the youth group. Uh, we've actually homeschooled them for the last 12 years, uh, giving them a Christian education. and so. Uh, the amount of, of time and effort and money that we've instilled into the future of our children um, had better uh, bring the results that we're expecting. Otherwise, um, they're in for a rude awakening. Because I've already told them, once they're done with college, they are not moving into my basement. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Uh, I, boy, there's a lot there that I'd love to unpack. Um, uh, one of which, because it's very fresh on my mind, is the, the homeschooling thing. Because I'm this close to pulling the trigger on homeschooling my kids. Um, and it's just, uh, I've been struggling on that, that making sure that I'm going to have the time and energy to be able to do that. Cause I'd be the one doing it. Cause my wife is still air force. So, um, it would be two years of me having to do it. And then my wife would be able to take over when she retires. But, um, to me, it, it seems to be well worth it. They're in a private Christian school now, but I think it would be well worth it to have that time to be able to dedicate to them and be, be a part of their life even deeper than I already am. Um, so maybe if we get some time to, to pick that apart, I'd love to, to, to do that. But, um, I think that, uh, uh, I don't want to get out too much personal information, but I'm pretty sure that I have been to that grocery store that your son works at. Um, because I used to live down by there. So I used to live, uh, uh, right near there. Um, I loved that grocery store. By the way, it just has that hometown feel. Like that, it, really I mean, does, it is, yeah. it is, a, it is a hometown type of thing. So um, it was great to go over there and grab, uh, grab all the fresh meats and stuff. But anyways, um, uh, so the businesses. Tell me a little bit more about the businesses and what you like. I mean, you, you said your son um, was your first employee, um, Jack. All right, so let me let me write down the kid's name. So you have Jack is your oldest. Yep. No, not quite. Um, okay. My oldest is Claire. Um, that's, that's right. So Claire and Hallie, yeah, there are there are technically my stepchildren. Um, so she is twenty five. Hallie is twenty three. Uh, Jack is eighteen, and Grace is sixteen. All right. So Jack and Grace have both. Well, Jack was your first employee. Uh, what did you have him doing? Um, uh, like actual physically doing, and then did you include him in on any of the like business management side, or was it more employee side? Yeah. 
so I, I tried to do all of the above. Um, but when he first started working, um, what I had him doing is essentially moving lumber, removing materials, setting up the job site, uh, understanding what the tools are. So I would teach him how to use all the tools. Mm-hmm. I would teach him construction basics. I would teach him what the code is for building code in the area, in the local area. And then I would try to get him to understand design and construction methods. So why would I build it this way as opposed to this way? Uh, is this way more expensive or is this way more labor intensive, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted him to, to actually think about what we were doing as opposed to just screwing board again, mm-hmm. uh, which is important. Um, and then later throughout uh, our time at, in that business, I tried to get him to, become, to jump into the project management portion, um, which is actually doing the physical design, uh, laying it out on a 3D image, uh, doing the cost analysis on, on how much is all the materials going to cost, how much is overhead, how much is labor, uh, etc. And then how is he going to apply this building uh, design into the local building code? So all of those things. So he's got a bit of engineering in there. He's got a bit of uh, business. He's got a bit of finance. Uh, he's got design. Uh, and then he's got leadership. All of those things are wrapped up tightly within project management. So mm-hmm. I tried to get him to do all of that, uh, but he did not take too well. Uh, he said that it was too much work and that he was he was happy just setting up a job site. But of course, he was also 16. So, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. a lot of, it's a lot of work uh, for an adult, let alone a 16-year-old. Yeah, no kidding. But I think it, regardless, I mean, if, if he's been exposed to it, at least uh, it comes back to that later on where he can he could remember... Yeah, oh, well, I think I remember doing this, or I've seen Dad. Let yeah. me ask Dad about this. You know, it might not be till he's twenty-five or thirty, but you know, there's always those things that we that, that we pull out later on in life. Um, of course. Well, Jack wasn't also our, our youngest guy. We we brought in um, lots of high schoolers, and, and the one of the main focuses of our business was to teach uh, local high school uh, young men how to do this type of trade. So we integrated all of these things into all of our our young men who were. were trying to learn how to do construction. And so I've had uh, six or seven uh, high school boys that we would come through and we would just teach them. And so, yeah, I may be the project manager and the owner of the business, but I'm also out there showing them the correct technique for putting in a screw or Mm -hmm. um, how to build um, the structural component of a deck or how to do a miter correctly. All of those things I think are super important. Uh, And I think it's also something that men in our day are lacking. Um, I think most of the time people just prefer to pay somebody else to do this as opposed to learning it on their own. And these are diminishing skills, um, whether it's construction or um, you know, plumbing, electrical, all the trades are super important. And there's very few men out there actually doing it nowadays. So I think it's important for them to learn it. Well, there's very, like I've, I've said it, I think, before on the podcast, and I'll, I'll probably say it a hundred more times. Like, we have a bunch of 40 year old boys that run around um, that rather than 40 year old men, you know, like because they're, right. they've never been taught like how to work with your hands, what it means to actually be that provider and protect. And I, you know, um, not to go too, uh, too down uh, one path or another, but um, I think that tends to be in, in Adam's um, semi humble opinion, like <laughs> a result of the fact that we're trying to, uh, say that men and women are equal in absolutely everything out there, you know, well, uh, first off, no, that's not, that's not actually true. Um, 
but we tend like we're we're losing the masculinity side because now all of a sudden it's toxic to be a man. You know, all of a sudden you're 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 bad to be a man. So I love the fact that you are specifically targeting um, uh, the the young high school men to be able to do all of these things because I mean, working with your hands, working a trade is going to more than likely pay more than your four-year degree got you, especially if you're going and getting something that ends in, you know, um, arts or whatever, you know, it, it, it you're going to have a hard time, right? You're going to, it's, you're going to have spent $60,000 to then get a job that pays you $45,000 a year. Yeah. Well, that's, that the math doesn't quite add up there, you know? It doesn't. Yeah. And with the, the, the few amount of men that are actually doing it, uh, those who are qualified and skilled labor, mm-hmm. they get at their own price. Yeah. Yeah, and so yep. we can come in at $150, $200 an hour uh, with very good quality work, and people will pay it because if you either pay somebody who has absolutely no idea what they're doing and you have to have it redone several times, or you mm-hmm. have somebody who knows what they're doing, they get it done right the first time, and it looks phenomenal. So yeah. the demand is there. Uh, in fact, even since I quit that business, uh, I still get calls weekly for people to come out are wanting us to come out and build something for them because the labor isn't there. Uh, people do not want to go out and do this this type of work, and I don't know why it is. Um, I think you're right, though. I think it is that um, that toxic masculinity. That could be an mm-hmm. entirely different podcast, by the way. Uh, we could, I could make it this entire podcast. I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty about a conversation. We could take it wherever the heck we want to. Yeah, but yeah, you're exactly right. Men and women are not equal. No. Um, there are things that I do much better than my wife and most things that she does is she does better than I do. Yeah. Uh, but that's what makes you a good team, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me being different than my wife or my wife being different than me. And I would hope that we would be so that we can complement each other. If we are exactly the same, we're not a team. At that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the, and it's funny because if the wrong person hears that statement, men and women are not equal, they won't hear it the same way I hear it, right? Because I hear it going, we are not the same, because we're not. Men and women are by far not the same. My wife will crush me in patience with the kids. Absolutely crush me with patience with the kids. Um, She's one of the uh, kindest, most patient people I know, especially with our kids. Where me, I'll be up a flagpole quickly. Right. But we need that balance. I need her to be able to balance me out. And you know what? If somebody needs to come and uh, lift the lawnmower off of, you know, something, it's not going to be my wife. It'll probably be me. You know, I'm going to like it's it is what it is. But um, yeah, God forbid wife, you say that now. You know? My wife is the one who, who uh, homeschooled our kids the last day. There is no way I could have done that. Now, I've taken them out and done physical training and I've mm-hmm. seen them you know, doing that all day long. <laughs> But as far as sitting there, sitting down and teaching them English and history, that's not me. Yeah. No. Well, um, we'll see if it's me because if that's the route I'm going, then I'm going, well, time will tell, right? So you're gonna love it. Yeah. It's. Uh, I actually do really. I, I'm. Like I said, I'm this close to pulling the trigger. Um, and by the time this this recording comes out, I'll either be doing it or not. Uh, but because it'll be into the school year by that point. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's it's you know. Uh, even even looking at what you're saying, like if I need to go work on the lawnmower, work on like even if I like if I want to go do something on the car, guess what? That could be part of school. Come on out. We're going to learn how to do some of this stuff. You're going to learn how to use a saw. You're going to learn how to use all this stuff. Like I mean, I don't. Um, I think that those are super valuable things. Even if they like, let's say your kids never 
Um, let's say Jack, Jack says, you know what? I really liked that he taught me how to do those things. I really liked being able to know about the job site, but I never want to do it, but I want to have employees that do like now he at least understands the concepts. He knows how to do it. He saw that his dad has run a business and how, how things worked. And then he can go out and do that later on in life. Or like, you know, you're setting up like, I don't care if my son's, um, uh, never do half of the manual labor. I teach them how to do, but they darn well better know how to do it. Right. Um, so that they can, if needed, and also, you know, learn that work ethic to your point. Like I want them to know what it means to work. And, you know, I, I always tell the boys, like my job is to make them better men than me. Um, and now that I have a daughter, right. She's, she's three months old. Um, you know, I've, I've yet to figure out, I, I, I certainly can't, no matter what society tells me, make her a better woman than me because, well, I'm not a woman. So I'm going to really hope that my wife takes over that portion of it. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, but my job is to teach teach her what it means to um, have a respectful husband at home who takes care of the family, who does all these things. Um, uh, so I never want to lose sight of those those aspects. And you had mentioned, um, I think, I'm pretty sure it was on the on the pre call that uh, one of the reasons you left that, uh, uh, or one of the reasons you stopped doing that particular job um, is because you were spending so many hours and you were away. Um, so did you find? And as you were telling me the story about your dad, it made me wonder if that's why you still wanted to put in these 100-hour weeks because you were saying your dad basically did these 100-hour weeks. And here you go, you know, hey, I wish I had more time with my dad. And then you went and did 100-hour weeks, which took away time with your kids, you know. Um, So uh, tell me about how that kind of those conversations with your wife went, like even the conversation with yourself on – is this business, is this hour, are, are these hours I'm putting in worth, worth what I'm losing or, you know, how did that decision kind of go? Yeah. And, and that's a great question. So my basic schedule was, I was working for the airport still, uh, I was putting in anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week uh, doing that. Um, and then afterwards I would work on the business aspect uh, of core outdoor renovations. And so for core, uh, essentially, I did all the accounting, I did the finances, uh, I did all the taxes, I did all most of the permitting, all the plans, uh, program management, etc. Um, and we had non-stop clients, and so we would end up, I would end up putting in another sixty hours a week uh, doing that. So when you're active duty and you have another business going, obviously, active duty uh, military comes first. So uh, I would end up working in the evenings, and I would end up working every evening, uh, except Mondays. Monday nights, I I lead a Bible study, and so that's the one night that I usually take off. Um, but every other night, to include both days on Saturday and then after church on Sunday, uh, we were out on the job site. And so we would usually get out on the job site on Saturday morning about 6 a.m., and we would leave at midnight, and we would do that every single weekend. And I did that for three years. and so. When you're doing 120 hours a week, uh, my focus during that entire time is how can I grow this business? How can I make it to where, number one, I'm expanding into different organizations and this business will become passive income. So I will be still be the owner, but I will have management team and program managers that are leading it and they will only come to me for major decisions or, or things that they can't rely on their own. And that was my inevitable goal for this company. Uh, but I do know that when you start a business, it's not easy. And so you have to set mm-hmm. everything up from the ground up and you have to put in the hours in order to get that thing rolling on its own. And so um, 
I expected probably by year five, I could have had started earning some passive income from this and had some really decent uh, crews working for us. Unfortunately, um, like we talked about earlier with the men today and wanting to do the trades, it was very difficult for us to find employees that were, that number one, had any type of skills at all. And if they were, if they did have skills, they were already hired and employed by some some of the bigger firms that are out there. And so it's, I had no incentive uh, to be mm-hmm. able to attract those guys or pull them from anybody else. So we had to do, try and grow them internally. And that's why I went with the high school route uh, as a secondary. But so if I can teach these guys how to do this on their own, I can learn them. I can understand what kind of people that they are and. I'm going to grow them into the business and doing the business the way that I want them to do it. And so if I continued going down that path, then we would just see what internally grow. Um, my wife um, wasn't super happy with that. She understands, yes, that starting a business uh, is a lot of work when you start it off. Uh, however, she didn't see uh, the value in the company itself. Um, she didn't see that it was worth the time that I was I was away from the family, um, the stress that it was putting on not only my body but my my well being, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, it'll beat you up if you're not careful. And mm-hmm. I had the same mindset that my dad did, and that is, I am focused. I'm going to move down this path. Yeah, it's going to be a sacrifice, but I don't care because I can see the long term goal. And I was that's what, that's the way I was rushing towards it. Um, but my wife is very eloquent. When it comes to telling me where I'm screwing up, after you're probably a two. And uh, more than once, she told me that uh, what I was doing wasn't the most intelligent thing uh, for the health and well being of our family. And uh, of course, those words were not used. But <laughs> I got her point. And um, so I was going to try and scale back a bit. I was going to try to not work on the weekends. As I was escaping <laughs> the military, um, I would have had a whole lot more time that I could have focused on this. Um, mm-hmm. But let's be honest: when you're starting up a brand new company, uh, and especially in construction and trades, you are really um, you're really at the whim of whatever clientele that you can try to attract. And so, it's not the safest uh, source of income for us. Um, so. I knew that I was going to continue to either work for the government as a GS position or a contractor, or I was going to find another technology company that uh, where I could utilize the skills that I've learned throughout the Air Force. Um, and that would be my source of income, and then I would always have this secondary or tertiary income from these other businesses. But again, I mean, I'm still looking down the road, and it's just it's, it wasn't worth it. Um, especially when, at the end of this last year, my partner decided to quit. Um, he was feeling the same struggle that I was. His wife was was also telling him, you know, why are you doing this? This isn't something that you thoroughly enjoy. You need to quit. Well, I don't need to call him, but he called himself. Um, and he brought it up to me. He's like, look, man, um, I love working with you, but this is killing me. I can't do this anymore. And so I was like, you know what? Fine. That's, it's, it's okay. If you don't enjoy the work, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll continue on without you. And then, of course, I've got a notification to deploy to Iraq for your long Um I can't run a business in Iraq. It's just not going to happen. Especially if I don't have a partner at home 
who is mm -hmm. able to kind of pull the reins while I'm not there. So yeah, that, that's why I ended up pulling the plug on that company and um, kind of dissolving it as we went. So you've got some hours back then after that dissolved. Is that getting put into the uh, uh, the was a Reed Custom Creations that Reed Custom Woodworks? Are you doing more of that now to fill yeah. some of that void? Or uh, so yes. Um, <laughs> so I am now um, I now work as a, as a kind of a management firm, if you will, for a local project management company. So, um, the, pro the not project management, sorry, property management. Uh, the property management company here has about 70 different properties that they manage. And again, they can't find personnel that can do all mm -hmm. of the work they need to have this done. So, whether it's drywall, painting, deck repair, uh, flooring, et cetera, et cetera, finding a good handyman that can do all that kind of stuff is very difficult to do uh, and very unreliable uh, for the most part. So, um, I would now work as their primary source for contracting, and I get about four or five different projects every week that they send my way. Uh, I've got a good crew. Uh, I've got uh, I pulled one guy from Core Outdoor Renovations, kind of a guy that I've been mentoring for the last few years, and uh, he's part of my crew. And then um, I have another friend who is, was a general contractor for like, 25 years, who, in his retirement years, is getting bored. And so he wants uh, to jump back in and work and, you know, do some of the things that he really thoroughly enjoyed in life and make some, you know, travel money on the side. And so mm -hmm. uh, together, us three uh, knock out a whole lot of projects um, throughout the year. And so we are definitely supplementing the income that we lost from core outdoor renovations. And I'm also doing it in a manner in which I'm not really working on the weekend anymore. Yeah. Um, my other biggest problem was working late at night, so I would work up until about midnight every single night. Uh, now I'm going to come home every night for dinner, um, and that's I think a big difference in just the mindset. So yes, I've got these on my on my schedule to do, but I ain't going to do them uh, when it's when it's convenient for me and my family. Yeah. And so they're the focus as opposed to the end. <laughs> So do you have uh, um, thinking in the entrepreneur business building brain, do you have a, any ideas, aspirations, thoughts of turning what you're doing right now with the property management company into a company itself that, um, you know, you, you then just manage the various contractors, you go out and find those good workers um, that the property management company doesn't have the time or energy to do because as somebody who's owned uh, hundreds of doors of apartment buildings, I understand that it could be a massive pain in the butt dealing with that. Um, but, uh, um, but if I found a solid company, so one of the, one of my, um, um, you know, aspirations, I guess, if you will, is to uh, start to really focus in on the semi near where I live now and buying apartment buildings um, and then get to a point where I'm vertically integrated, where I own all the properties, I own the property management, and I own all the maintenance. Um, so if I can own all of those tiers and uh, like I get to control every bit of it, I don't have to worry about whether or not some third party 
property management company is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or they can't seem to find the employees. If, if an employee is not found, it's on me and I get to go chase these folks down and make sure that my company's right. running well. Yeah. Um, but if I were to find somebody like you who said, Hey, like I've, I've built this thing now and then come in, is that something that you've had any aspirations about or even thought about is like building a company like that um, with your knowledge yeah. and expertise in that? That, I, that is something that I have thought, thought about quite a bit. Um, and again, it is going to depend on how much, I really want to invest in that type of business mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. Because again, I have to do the same thing as I did before. Yeah. So I got to be able to find the talent, right? I can't go and do every one of these projects on my own. I just, I don't have the time. For it. Yeah. And, and it's uh, not the best use of your time either. Right. So it's, it's really not. No. So if I'm going to go out and I'm going to fix a hole in drywall and it's going to take me a couple hours to do that, I'm not making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just not, but it's something that if I had a crew who went out and they did, 10 holes every day that them that's a bit more more worth my time but you're right it's it's finding those companies that you can rely on do that is is pretty paramount for the property management world and that is the company that we currently are of course i'm doing it under the umbrella of reading woodwork mm-hmm. and everything that i'm um incorporated to do uh, is is still legal in that respect. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna branch out and start a different company yet, and, and call it like some sort of you know maintenance, read some maintenance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if I'm gonna continue under the woodworks uh, side of it, and uh, and just employ people to do that. I don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really gonna depend. After I fully retire from the Air Force in January of next year. And we figure out what type of full-time employment I'm actually going to have. I think that is probably when that decision will be made. That's what I was actually going to ask. Because my next question is, all right, so right now you're in, you know, what the, the DOD calls skill bridge, right? So you're doing six months with yeah. that. And then you retire uh, January 1st. Um, are you planning to go to work with the company that you're doing Skillbridge with, or are you still not sure yet? I mean, you mentioned, you know, maybe GS or maybe this or that, or that was like pre-planning before. So what, where do you think you're, where do you think you're leaning towards at the moment? Yeah. So that is a question that my wife and I have, have been battling with quite a bit recently. Um, and of course I, there was two companies, uh, that I really wanted to work with. One is a very large company. Um, and you've heard of them, Sierra Nevada. Uh, they have a big, uh, a big facility here in Dayton. And then there's another smaller company uh, called Battlesite Technologies. And the the management and the leadership in each of those is vastly different. And so it depends on what type of work uh, that you really want to do when you retire. So do I want to jump back into the grind of a larger company where I'm just a number? You know, I'm number one of 10,000. And mm-hmm. the work that I do that day is not going to be that impactful. Um, I would have to do something over the course of six months. So probably somebody even noticed that I was there. Or I can work for a small business, which I've owned a couple small businesses. I understand what that paradigm is like. I understand the impact that a single person can make on a company. And I'd much rather be in that position. Not only do I get to, to know uh, our leadership and fellow employees a whole lot better, but I can actually make an impact on this company mm-hmm. if they would allow me to do so. And so when I started my interview process with Battlesite, and I don't blame them for this in any way, but they said, look, we'd love for you to come work for us. You have a very impressive background. Everything that you 
done it without your history and utilized here. But we can't guarantee you a position. I said, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't blame you. You don't know me. I don't know you. Why would you guarantee me a position before this silver started? Um, but I can see uh, in their company where I would be useful. And, I, and I've only been there a week, and I'm hoping that they can see where I would be useful as well. And if they were to have me, based on my current experience, I would absolutely work there. Um, it's a great place to work. Um, they are very innovative, super smart people. Um, and it, it's so far, it's been an awesome, awesome experience that I've had. Um, and one day, I'm going to tell you this, uh, mark my words, if they end up going public one day, they're going to be a very, very lucrative company. Yeah. Um, they have lots of patents. They have lots of great technology. They're going to help our our special warfare operators out the field. Um, they just got to get out there. And that's what I'm hoping to help them do. So, um, boy, my brain goes 100 different directions on this one. So, what would you first, what would you see yourself doing inside that company? What would you want to see yourself doing inside that company? Yeah, that's another good question. So, every single person in that company wears probably seven different hats, mm -hmm. whether it's program management, whether it's accounting, whether it's working in their uh, internal lab, or um, marketing. I mean, I, I've done all of them. Uh, I can do all of them. And, um, what I would probably see myself doing in that respect is uh, probably project management. Um, I would, they would probably give me one of the, the products that they're selling or the ones that they're trying to integrate and do specific units in the DOD, and I would run with it. Uh, I would use the connections that I've got, uh, both in uh, the SEER community and special warfare, and I would see how well this product would integrate and how we can help our guys out right And so that would probably be my primary role. Uh, secondary role, I would be helping our engineers and chemists in the lab, uh, trying to help them innovate on different technologies, uh, giving them ideas of what I've learned in the past and what works and what doesn't work. And I can definitely help with product refinement, product development, and product uh, marketing. So would you see yourself as a like a 1099 or a W-2 inside of there? W-2? Yeah, okay. for sure. Um, Okay. The, uh, cause I'm curious if, um, I want to challenge you a little bit, right? Like you like, you, you seem to, um, have, uh, done well when you started running businesses, but they take, they take a lot of time, right? They, and it's exhausting when you're active duty. That's one of those ask me how I know type of things. Cause I've, I've been there. I understand what you're saying. Right. Um, you know, uh, so are you, are you looking at getting a W2 job because it, it feels comfortable to have the guaranteed W2 paycheck because you've been used to that for the last, you know, 24 years. Um, or even though you like, let me, I guess, why aren't you putting enough faith in yourself to just run your own businesses when you have a full-time ability to do that and say, you know what, I'm going to be the maker of my future as opposed to putting it into a W2 again, because I know I can do it. I was successful in these two other businesses. I just didn't want to work 120 hours anymore. Now you can work. 70 hours on only your business yeah. there's a there's a, a joke right like uh, entrepreneurs are um are the only ones dumb enough to uh quit a job working 40 hours a week to uh take up a job working 80 hours a week you know so like, we're, general, I, like sorry what's that 
and generally for less pay when you start. Yeah, when you start, start for sure, right? So, um, you know, I'm just curious, like the mentality wise, are you are you going back to a W two because that's comfortable, or is it because you have a passion behind what that company does, um, rather than taking the risk on yourself and saying, hey, and it's not even a risk. You've already proven yourself to be able to do it, and you've got the ethic and drive to be able to do it, and now you're going to do it with 50 hours less work on, in the in the Air Force side. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'll stop there and let you kind of riff. <laughs> yeah so thank you for opening up this kind of word you're this welcome is something that <laughs> my wife and i have have really talked about um you know, i told her that when i retired what i would really enjoy doing is just running with my own business mm-hmm. uh, i can do it i know how to do it and i can be very profitable doing it and it's something that i love right i love doing the, the hands-on manual skilled type labor i love it um but I think that my confidence uh, probably surpasses her confidence in me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that she believes, number one, that we would be able to sustain the amount of income that, we are, that we've been accustomed to. Uh, but two, I think what she really wants is that secure type paycheck from, that you would get from a W-2, the 401k, plus the benefits. Um. For me to be able to provide all of that kind of stuff, we're looking several years down the road. Uh, we've got a family that is uh, EFMP currently in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, that military healthcare is not the greatest in the world. Uh, even if when you get it on the outside, uh, you are very limited on what. You do. So, what we would prefer to do, at least I think for the next few years, is um, be able to to have that W-2 income, know that we're safe and secure when it comes to payments. Um, we we have better insurance than we currently have, and we're able to fill up our savings account. So as we talked about earlier, um, my, my businesses that I start are greatly dependent on the economy. Um, my wife's income as a realtor is greatly dependent on the economy. So if the economy happens to be taking a dive and nobody is buying and we have interest rates that are still 7-8%, um, her income goes down considerably. Mm-hmm. If I am in a world now where uh, everybody is uh, trying to feed their families and you have inflation skyrocketing to 10% and interest rates that are 8%, there's not a whole lot of extra income for, for me to go out and build you a brand new debt. There's not a whole lot of desire for me to come out and modify or paint your entire house. It's just not going to happen. Um, they're going to be saving their money. They're going to be planning and prepping for the future. And so it's a very, very risky time right now uh, for us to be completely dependent on an economy that I don't have a whole lot of faith in. So if I were to take a W-2 position, uh, I can guarantee the, the income uh, for my family for the next two years, and we can look and monitor the economy and, and see whether or not, after this current administration passes on, if it improves a little bit, I think then we we are in a better position to make a better choice. Does that make more sense? To a point, but it almost feels like... Uh... So I totally understand where your wife is coming from, right? Because like Raquel and I had to have a lot of conversations about me leaving the military pre like with without a retirement, right? Um, with with now, if I'm going to get a reserve retirement, it's not until I'm you know 
55 years old, 60, yeah, 60, whatever years old. Um, so it's like, okay, well, that's a long ways down the road before I get that check. Um, uh, so it, you know, it, it was a, it was a lot of conversation to be able to get to the point where we're comfortable, um, with that decision. Uh, What it feels like, though, is is your. I don't know. Um, I'm all about challenging ourselves, and I know you you're totally about challenging yourself, um, uh, both physically and mentally. So that's why I kind of want to f- uh, play this game a little bit with you. Is is all right? So uh, what is it that you could do, right? If if what you really want to do is run your own business, be able to make it happen. You already told me that you know you can make it happen, and then ten minutes later you told me, yeah, but the economy. Okay, so can you make it happen or can you not make it happen? Right? Yeah. Are are we coming up with reasons why we shouldn't make it happen, so that we can get that comfort and feel good about the W two and know that we're going on? Um, you know, uh, and it, it, at the end of the day, obviously, your calculus and and I I fully trust in where your decision would lie. Um, if it's to get the W two, I completely could see exactly why you'd want to do it. I just want to press a little bit and challenge that the thought process yeah. because I also am confident in your ability to be able to. Uh, manage and run a business in just the, you know, while neither of us were managing or running businesses when we uh, first initially met, um, I know enough about your background and who you are that that that's not going to be a problem to be able to do that. So, you know, yeah. maybe it's now instead of building decks for the um, uh, $200,000 house down the road, now you're building decks for the $2 million house, um, you know, in, in South Oakwood. And you're saying, hey, I'm going to go build all of the decks there. Everything I'm doing now is with the business owners who are still doing well. They don't care whether the economy is hurting because my business doesn't care whether the economy is hurting. I'm going to go find the right people. Or maybe like, you know, how much... And that's a good conversation with your wife because you said that, you know, your confidence in yourself uh, is is not quite the same as where hers is because she's probably been comfortable with exactly what you are with the same way that, you know, we grew up. Okay, we saw our parents, you know, um, get a good job, get good grades, you know, uh, go to college, get a degree, get, get you know, get, do the, do all the right things to be able to collect the right paychecks, to be able to feel comfort, to be, ah, I feel good now. And then to throw that all in in the wash and say, all right, well, let's go start a business. That that's tough, right? It is tough. But I mean, yeah. if you've ran two of them while working active duty, why can't you run one of them while not working active duty? You know, you got oh, retirement, you got yeah. disability, you know. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, so I don't plan on, well, if I'm working on this other position, I don't plan on getting rid of it because it's more work. That is something that I am going to continue and likely uh, will continue to grow uh, as I'm still getting a W two. Um, but you're right. If I if I were to stop uh, being reliant on any other company, and I would fully invest my time in this one, I could I could exponentially grow it much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely could. Or I could continue in the path that I'm currently on, and I can grow at a moderate rate. Uh, based on um, who I can find that works for me, and you know, based on the jobs that I can acquire. Um, and to me, honestly, it just it seems safer. Um, and I, that's going to be my cop out for you, Adam. It, it seems that's a, well, at least you know it's a cop out, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other the other thought I looked at it made it go a little a little bit slower, and uh, yeah, where the switches mean. Um, so one of the reasons I also asked about about the the um, 
the other job that you're looking at, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but um, so if, if you to work with, if you were to work with it, how big are they right now? Do you know? Oh, in this area, they probably got three or 4,000, uh, probably I think 10 to 20,000 uh, in the U S something like that. Wow. That's a, that's a heftier size than I expected you to say. So, yeah. um, uh, is there a way, so there's, uh, there's there's entrepreneurs right and there's entrepreneurs right people that work a lot better inside of the company to be able to make this thing big as opposed to being the the entrepreneur that kind of runs the whole thing they work better as an entrepreneur but they can crush it as a number two number three um and do a lot better maybe they're not meant to be a number one not everybody's meant to be you know the the ceo of the companies and 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 run all the stuff um uh so like i was wondering if there's like a path that you could see um where you could say, okay, well, I can actually move up really high in the ranks of this company, given my knowledge, skills, and abilities that I already have and what they what their company does. Um, and you could see a path to get to that point where you could say, all right, well, this is why it makes it worthwhile because then I can earn equity in the company at, at one way, shape, or form. Um, uh, is that at all possible in that company? I think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. Uh, but they are a private organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their their owners um, have a pretty stronghold, pretty much a stronghold on who gets up into what positions. So you're probably looking anywhere from a decade, decade and a half before you're anywhere near some sort of upper level management. Okay. Uh, but really, it's it's not about um, it's not really about the position in the company. It's also about your quality of life. Yeah. And it, it's it's completely different, you know, when you're in a smaller business as opposed to a very large business, like mm-hmm. your quality of life. So, for example, if you're working at, let's say, Battlesite Technologies versus Lockheed Martin, your quality of life is vastly different. Yeah. So you might be getting um, mid-six-figure income at Lockheed Martin, but you'd never see your family. Um, and you might be getting low six-figure income at Battlesite, and you get to see your family every night and every weekend. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the value of money uh, if, you, if you end up losing your family in the end? And that's really kind of what it goes down to is how much time and effort, if I'm already comfortable, if I've already got enough money to support my family and live in a comfortable way, what is the point of working an additional 60 hours every week if I lose my family in the end, the whole thing that I'm trying to provide for in the, in, in the beginning? Yeah. And, and that is something that has been a, a huge slap in my face uh, in the past couple of years is, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all this for you. I'm doing all of this to make your life even better than it was before. And but you never see me, and yeah. inevitably you we may not see each other anymore if I continue. Yeah, and I and, I put an asterisk next to, to yeah for sure. And I, I put an asterisk next to one of the things you said. Like, Am I doing enough? Right? Um, you had said that earlier when you were going through the process, and I mean that that seemed to be something that your dad would have probably been saying to himself as well as he was. As he was going through all the stuff, he's going. Am I doing enough to make sure that I'm giving for my family? And there gets to be a point where you're, you're, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I talk to in the in, in the strictly entrepreneur world that, oh yeah, I'm running this business so for my family. I'm running this business for my family, and then they never see their family, right? That's there's right. got to be a point where you say this isn't worth it anymore. You know, I, I, am I actually doing it for my family, or am I doing it for myself so that I can say I'm doing it for my family and look like I'm right. doing it for my family? Um, right. So I totally and understand your point there in some point pride is your purpose, yeah. right? I'm doing this because I want to feel good about myself or mm-hmm. I have this pride issue that I can make this work. 
And I have, you know, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else to do it. And that's where I kind of hit you in the face saying, you know what? Keep going. You've got this. You are absolutely going to crush it. But you're going to be single in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And And how many times do we see that in the military? Oh, all the time. Yeah. My wife and I are a rarity. Yeah, very much so. Most most everybody I know has been divorced because the guys that I I grew up with in, in the social warfare world, um, they deployed as often as they could. And you know why? Because that's what we trained. Them. Mm-hmm. That's what we love. That's what we joined the military to do. Um, and every time that your wife would say, why are you deploying again? Why are you doing this again? And we always use the excuse because I need to go fight the enemy or mm-hmm. I need um, to protect our country or I'm doing this to make more money for our family. But in reality, most of the time we're doing it because that's what we want. Yeah. That's it. That's what I want to do in my life. That's where I want to go. And I just want you to shut up and let me go do it. Mm-hmm. And if you have a good enough wife, they're not going to be the one that just shuts up and lets you do it. They're going to try to rein you in a little bit yeah. and, and and try to help protect you from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see the same thing in a bunch of entrepreneurs too. We, I mean, the, the same exact concept, right? It's You're not going to war, but man, you're chasing down that that feeling that gets yeah. you that high, you know, like yeah. there's, there's uh, nothing like you know, going out, going out to combat and doing some things, right. And having some, have some times. And it's kind of one of those things that you fiend for and you want to go back. There's nothing like quite in business when you get some of those big successes and they feel really good, but you took a lot of hours away to be able to do it. So if you're constantly chasing that, you know, chasing that dragon, that's a boy, sometimes you got to slay the dragon and be done with it. You know, um, it's that dopamine rush that you're really searching for, right? Yeah. But, but uh, you know, a part of the reason I ask this is I, I could see you, yeah, you're gonna have to be really intentional about the hours you put in with uh, um, your business, because if you're already if you're adding another forty hour W two to it, and then saying I'm still going to do this on top of it, you could easily end up in that same exact boat if you're trying to build that thing at a slow rate, you know. And it's uh, um, you know making sure that that balance is there and having those those open and honest conversations with the kids as well as the wife and saying hey you guys let me know call me out when i'm you know not doing and doing this or doing that so um you know what kind of mechanism and, and mechanism is probably the wrong word for it um but uh what kind of mechanism do you and your wife or you and your kids or all of the above does your family have in place to be able to call each other out and help support each other in ways like that um that like hey you're you're not meeting the mark here or hey you're crushing it here like you guys do anything in in the family that says hey this is this is how we celebrate each other or this is how we help each other correct yeah so i don't think there's any like formalized activity that we do yeah Uh, most of the time it's we'll we'll figure that out when somebody has um missed the mark somewhere or they uh let's say they weren't available for something that the family really needed them at or if something is not getting done at the home that needs to be done, and it's a primary responsibility of that person, that's where it becomes pretty available or pretty evident that they they're not they're not focusing on uh, all their priorities in their life uh, in an adequate way. Um, and that happened to me uh, last year when I would always rely on somebody else to do our yard work or some sort of cleaning the house or taking care of the kids or being involved in the kids' activities and whatever they're doing. If I'm always missing it, uh, my wife would be uh, pretty vocal about the fact that uh, my priorities are probably through that. Um, she's always been on the end where her family is number one priority no matter what. 
In fact, she works primarily uh, to assist the family in, in whatever it is that uh, she seems uh, deemed valuable, which is, you know, spending time together and traveling and going and seeing the world. And, and those kind of things is what she primarily works for. So it's easy for her to say um, you're, you're, you're spending your time in the wrong area when um, most of her funds are going to, you know, traveling or, mm-hmm. or, or, or funding certain things like house renovations or new appliances, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and most of my funds are going to paying the mortgage and the electrical bill and the food. Uh, so it's a different perspective when it comes to what am I working for? Um, I don't think she's ever worked, um, at least since uh, we've been married, uh, fully support our family. Um, she's always been the one that has been at home and, and supported our kids and you know, taught our kids and raised our kids for the most part when I'm not home. Um, she has been the, the rock that our family has needed um, when, I'm, when I'm not there. And so my perspective is always I've got to make enough money and to be able to support our family. And hers is always I've got to be home enough to support our family. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a completely different way of looking at life. Right, and that comes back again to we're not equal. Um, we're completely different, um, and we should be. But yeah, the the mechanism there is um, when I am failing, and um, it becomes a trend. Um, she will call me out, and when she's failing and it's becoming a trend, I will call her out. And uh, our kids are the exact same way. So um, it, it's pretty evident when you're a close knit family when somebody is not going the way they should. How have you how have you fostered that? Because um, I know there's a, there's a lot of families that wouldn't be able to do that, right? They wouldn't be able to um, to support hearing that or feeling that or seeing that. Like, what is it that you guys have done inside your family that has has caused you to be that tight knit and close to be able to? As as my my daughter is sitting here at the door, um, sure, bring her in. So now you get to see my daughter. Um, yeah. So this is one thing I was going to tell you before the podcast is that sometimes, sometimes family shows up and ah, what's up, oh, what's up little lady? Hi. What's up? You say hi? You say hi? Say hi, Mr. Dan. <laughs> I was going to tell you before the podcast that I don't care if kids show up. It's a, it's a podcast, podcast about being a dad. So sometimes di- kids are going to show up. And in this case, it's the littlest here. one. Usually it's, what's that? Keep that kid out of here. I'm yeah, working. no kidding, right? Jeez, don't you know I'm working? Don't you know I'm working? Get a little hiccup. Get it on the microphone. <laughs> or headbutt the microphone. That's cool. Um, so what what have you uh, uh obviously it's uh, to me it, it starts at the very beginning with you and your wife but um kind of talk me through you know how have you guys fostered that with the kids that 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 openness to be able to call each other out um in a loving manner as opposed to you know um what could turn into an abusive manner like oh you never do this in the house and like that's obviously not going to be conducive to what yeah. we need so how have you kind of fostered that and how have you worked through any issues that have popped up from that I'm going to tell you what that's a fine line isn't it mm-hmm. uh it's very difficult and um, the Reed family is uh, is a very prideful family, and we we know that. Um, it's very easy to hurt our pride, and when somebody calls us out, um, it doesn't feel good. We don't like it for the most part. So the manner in which you do it is uh, it's pretty paramount. And I've failed at that uh, probably for most of my life on how I correct my children or how I, I bring issues up to my wife. Um, and she's the same way. Um, 
when we first were married, she would just say, hey, that's really stupid. Why are you doing that? <laughs> As opposed to coming back and saying, hey, Dan, I noticed you did this. Why? Why would you have done that? Well, do you think you could have done it better this way? And I'm like, yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess. Um, and that's that's one thing with my, my kids as well. Um, sometimes I'm not as eloquent as I could be, and I recognize that. And so when I correct them, depending on how mad I am about the situation, it will depend currently on uh, how well we communicate in that, mm-hmm. that time period. Um, but a lot of times I'll, I'll ask them, I'm like, hey, why, why did you do this? And I want to give them an opportunity to kind of give me their logic or their reasoning. And then sometimes, you know what, I'm like, you know, I didn't think of it like that. That's actually a better response than I expected. And so um, that's an easier way to have a conversation and, and correct or at least give advice on how to do something differently. Um, and I always, in my, in my past, would jump to conclusions uh, thinking that I'm the smartest person in the room and assume that what they're doing is just stupid and they never thought it through. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is, most people are fairly intelligent and when they do something, they do it for a reason. They actually did think it through. Uh, you just aren't bright enough to figure out why they thought that way. Yeah. And uh, if you can get over yourself just a little bit and, and understand that um, you aren't the smartest person there, just have a conversation and let's initiate uh, some of those conversations first before you start correcting. Uh, it's better to understand the situation as a whole as opposed to jumping to whatever thought you had uh, was correct and correcting that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was listening to, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, can't hurt me. David Goggins. I was listening to his second book, um, uh, yesterday while I was mowing the lawn. And one of the things he said is like, even in battle, it's very difficult, but you have to take a knee to assess the situation around you and figure out what's going on. There may be bullets flying, but you still have to take the knee and understand where the enemy is, where the things are going on. And in life, you have to do that from time to time as well and take a knee. Like um, how many times have we heard, you know, take a knee and hydrate, right? Like that's just what you do. But there was, I, I was never taught any of any reasons behind it other than the fact that we need, we need to hydrate and, you know, taking a knee is giving you a rest, right? <laughs> There's never a why behind it. Um, uh, so, oh, Time for the little lady to head on back. Love you, sweetheart. Say bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you, Camille. Um, So, like, I was trying to ponder that as I was, you know, mowing the lawn. Like, how can I do that with my family and be able to, you know, take that knee and understand what's actually happening? Why, why somebody's responding the way they are, why things are happening the way they are. I'm, I'm huge into why. Um, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's not always the best thing in the military. They don't necessarily want you to ask why. They just want you to do things. But I have a tendency to ask why an awful lot. Um, uh, and I teach my kids to ask why. Uh, and I want them to. So if I can understand the reasoning why they're acting way, the way they are, that's, that immediately helps me to be able to respond better. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that, that, that thought process is that. So what I was pondering in my head yesterday, I was like, okay, well, if I like, how can I take a knee in life that gives me that perspective that I need? And to me, like reminding myself that you, I, you don't have all the perspective. Like if I'm in the middle of a conversation between like me and you are in the middle of a conversation, I don't have all the perspective on the conversation because I don't know why you're saying what you're saying, what you're thinking about. The only thing I can do is keep asking questions to understand. And the more I get to understand, the more I get to see the, 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 the rest of the perspective, um, which will then help me to make better decisions. Um, 
And I try to like fostering that sort of thing with the family is difficult, right? And really being able to say, okay, well, yeah, it takes so much work to be, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, I was chatting with somebody who's like, it's so much easier to be a mediocre or a bad dad than it is to be a good dad. It takes a lot of work to be a good dad and be involved and ask those questions and go through the motions of actually trying to be a good dad. Um, uh, the amount of extra conversations I have to have with my boys, you know, about anything, you know, I don't, I don't care if it's right at the moment about, you know, um, why, why is baby Diana under, under a sheet on mommy's chest? Okay. Well, there's a lot of questions we can have about this, right? And, and I need you guys to know that. I need you guys to be comfortable asking me these questions and need to be able to go through these things, right? Um, but later on, it's going to be a lot more difficult questions to work through and, and work on. And if I don't foster the, open communication and relationship now and teach myself to do that now that it makes it so much harder later on. Um, yeah. Can yeah, you, I totally agree. and some of the, one of the biggest problems I had, uh, being a dad and being in the military, uh, is I have two different worlds where I have to act like two different types. Of oh yeah. Yep. Uh, right. And so I've always had a decent commute, um, coming from home and, and to work and vice versa, where I try to get into a different mindset. And I've noticed that over the years, I've kind of loosened up a little bit, but in my early years in fatherhood, I was very rigid and I was not approachable in any way. And mm -hmm. I would tell you to do something and I just expected you to do it. Uh, there is no conversation. Your dad told you to do this, go do it now. And I want you to do it very well. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then I'm going to criticize you for not doing it well. And then we're going to, we're going to have a, disciplinary issue after that and that's the wrong way to do it it, it just it doesn't it doesn't create any sort of, of loving environment this is this is just rigid i told my my dad told me what to do and that's what i'm going to do and that's it um but as i as i've gotten older and uh, i've gotten a bit more experience and especially now that we have a grandchild um you can kind of see exactly where you screwed up in life uh, the older you get, the wiser you become. Mm -hmm. if you're paying attention, and you can you can look back and say, "Man, that was that was really dumb. I should not have treated my children that way. I shouldn't have treated my wife that way." Uh, at the time, I thought it was right. I thought I was I was making the right call, and I can't blame myself for that. But looking back now, I, I was just an idiot. Um, and I think most men generally are idiots until they're about their mid thirties. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. just the way it is. I mean, yeah. we do. Women always tell us that they are smarter than us, and you know what? If we were smart enough, we would have believed them. Mm -hmm. um, but we were too busy knowing everything. So they, <laughs> they generally are smarter than us, and they're and they can they can see things differently than we do. And and God made us that way. And so you got to listen to your partner, and you got to listen to to the criticism that they're giving you because honestly, they're just trying to help, and they're usually communicating with you in the way that you present yourself to them, that they think that you're going to take it in, in the most effective way. And if you come home and you're extremely rigid and you're always very direct, that's probably how they're going to communicate with you. And if you don't like that, then change the way that you are with them. And mm -hmm. that'll help out the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very happy that I, uh, I often say that I wish I had children when I was younger, just because, you know, I've, I've got a lot of friends who, you know, yeah. Roughly the same age as me, their kids are just about out of the house. Like they, you know, 
Um, or I've got one really good buddy of mine. They're high school sweethearts. Their kids are out of the house. They're done with college. They're, you know, one of them's done with college, one of them's in college, and he just retired. Like, and it's like, man, how do, like, golly. But if I look back and say, okay, well, if I had a 15 year old son right now, how much would I have screwed him up with the way I used to be? <laughs> you know, because like it was like not great. Like, you know, it, it, it worked in certain scenarios to be the way I was, but without the, Conscious effort to change, which I still want to always do, is put in a conscious effort to change for the better. Um, I don't know how, like how much I would have messed my kids up, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't have them until eight years ago. But at the same point, you know, it's like I still need to remember now what am I doing to screw them up so that I don't continue to do those things. How like how can I constantly assess what I'm doing to make sure that it is the right thing to be doing and the positive thing for the family and. Yeah, because I think that the, the military, we have a hard time, especially doing the, the job that that you did and um, and that I did, like very, very rigid, you know, like this is what you're doing because like lives depend on it. This is where you're going because this is like if, if you know, you, you probably came home as, you know, Master Sergeant Reed telling the kids what to do as opposed to dad telling the kids what to do, you know, and I, it took me a while to, to reset that switch. Even when we met in, in OTS, I still hadn't fully gotten over a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it worked for a little while, but then it gets, it just gets to a point where it's like, okay, well, you're, you're, you're now on the losing end of that side. Um, and you need to learn how to, to recover from that and how to, how to become a better communicator. And, um, that was one thing security forces did not teach me anything like being a cop in the military did not teach me how to communicate. It taught me how to yell at people, um, because I was good at my job. So that I was the one who was always like, go fix this problem, you know, and like all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, I taught me how to yell at people, but not how to be a good communicator. Nobody trained me on how to do all of that. It was, it was through a lot of trial and error and a lot of burnt relationships and, um, that I, I learned how to like straighten myself out to your point, like you get to your mid thirties. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, golly you are yeah. an idiot for years yeah. you know many years but ah it's uh it's exhausting but but yeah i, I uh um when it came when it comes to the kids i really want to go back to that a little bit more as far as the communication with them and how uh you know how did you switch from uh, you know you you mentioned realizing that you you couldn't keep communicating like that like being the author the authoritarian in the house um and being more like the the leader the dad of the house that's kind of um uh doing that like how did how did that switch happen and then how did your kids take to it like what, how much work did it take to overcome some of the previous uh um uh, I, I won't say well, negative efforts that you were doing that you are now trying to turn to positive efforts yeah, sure. And that's a good question. Um, the way that I communicate with my kids uh, greatly varied based on their age. Uh, so when they are one and two years old, I'm not going to sit here and have a very deep conversation. Yeah. Um, at that point in my life, I'm telling them what to do, and they're going to do it. And they're going to say why a hundred times just because they don't want to do it. Not because they want to know the answer. Yeah. Uh, but as I got, as they got older, um, and they were able to kind of have a bit more um, deep conversations. Um, they were understanding things quite a bit more, and this has happened over the last year. <clears throat> the way that I communicate with them, I can see how it would impact them emotionally. I can see how it kind of impacts them physically when they're looking at me. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't like is sometimes um, when I'm engaging my kids, they would almost um, they would either have like a sense of fear that I could see that they were scared 
the dad is yelling at them. They don't like it. They don't know what's going to happen. Although I've never abused my children, when you are in the position that I I was in for a long time, um, you have to be intimidating to certain people at certain times in your career. Uh, and sometimes that would come out in me. You remember whenever we got our new recruits at OTS, right? Yeah. I still got that on video when you and I are walking up and down the hallway yelling <laughs> at new guys. And all we're trying to do is instill a little bit of, of, of urgency, right? We want mm-hmm. them to be able to think on their feet and, and operate environments with lots of stress. So there's a point to it. But when you're talking to your, your children, um, you're, you kind of have the same point, but to a, a lesser degree, a much lesser degree. Uh, you want them to have that, that, that sense of fear of their parents, uh, much like you have a fear of God. But what you don't want them to do is be scared of you don't want them um, looking at you and, and, and saying, I just, I don't understand why he's doing this. Does he not like me? Does he mm-hmm. not love me? Does he not want to be with me or hang out with me anymore? Does he, is he just doing this to be mean? And at a certain point, you have to start explaining things to them. You have to start allowing them to ask you certain questions because otherwise you're going to damage the relationship. Yeah. Their perspective of you is going to be 100% dependent on how you interact with them. And if you are always a tyrant, that's the perspective that they're going to have of you for your whole life. And is that what you want of your children? Or do you want them to have a, a memory of you of, um, yeah, he was always very firm, but I understood why, and it made mm-hmm. sense. Uh, there's a big difference in that, right? Um, and being firm and loving, and all of those can go hand in hand, but you have to have a purpose, you have to have a reason. You can't. You can't just tell your kids to do something because you don't want to. Being a lazy parent is not an excuse to have your children do everything. Yeah. It's not an excuse to have them go out and, and mow the lawn or to, to you know clean the dishes because you don't want to do it. You also have to. You have to pull your own weight around the house, too. Even though, that, yes, my job is to provide and create this house that you live in. Yeah. Um, I still have to model what that looks like to live inside of it. And um, I didn't. I didn't have kids to create slaves. I didn't have kids to have servants in my home. I, I created them to have a loving environment, much like I believe God created all humankind to do to have that relationship. Um, and if I force them into loving me, much like God created us free will, uh, it's not much of a relationship. Yeah. And um, you gotta you gotta focus on that at some point. You gotta realize that your communication is, is uh, pretty paramount in that in that relationship. And, and as they got older, I, I noticed how it impacted them, and I tried to modify it where it was. I didn't feel guilty after talking to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah there were a few times where I, I mean, and, and still today, I'll still do it. I think all of us will um, react rather than respond. I've been trying to teach my son the difference between reacting to something versus responding to something. Um, a reaction is very emotional and not thought through, or a response is. Is, is methodical thought through you know why you're doing you're saying and doing the things you're doing um sure. and there's been multiple times even you know in the in the recent past where the the kids will do something and I, i'll react quickly and then it's like golly like time to time to eat the crow and say all right boys this is exactly what daddy's been trying to teach you i fall prey to it too let's work through these issues daddy made a mistake let's talk about it apologize move on um you know and, and one thing you've mentioned quite a few times and i i, I appreciate it and, and that was one thing that we um we talked about quite a bit at OTS too, is um, uh, our faith. And I, I'd love to hear kind of how you um, uh, have tried to instill that into your kids, because there's, there's only like, 
There's only so, we could force our kids by the, you know, force being not the way we want it to be, force our kids to go to church for a while, you know. Uh, but how do you, how do you instill that into the kids, like their, the, the faith and, you know, leading for, leading your family as Christ leads the church type of thing? You know, how do you, um, uh, how are you implementing that or, or, you know, how do you feel like you're doing in that, in that realm? Yeah. So that's, that's a really good question. I think it's super important on how you, how you raise your family. Um, one of our main focuses when we started homeschooling our kids is we wanted them to have a Christian education. Mm-hmm. Aside from the Christian education, uh, we were, we were not happy with the safety uh, of our, of our kids in, in schools. So I'm not talking like, you know, the gunfire or, or, you know, shootings in schools, what I'm talking about is bullying or kids that are have a, a, a very negative influence on our children. Because let's be honest, kids are not very smart as they grow up, and they just aren't. And without positive adult interaction with them, they will always continue to be um, not super intelligent. And that's just the way life is. You have to have teachers. You have to have good role models. You have to have mentors in life in order to direct you in the right way. But in schools, what you mostly have is one teacher who is very much struggling to try and keep an entire class focused on doing either literature or math or English or whatever the case is. It's like the, the, the entire rest of the time, you've got 30 other negative influences on your child. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. And if you have some, let's be honest, most of those children do not have great parents anymore. Yeah. They just don't. I would say you're lucky if a quarter of them have great parents. And so all the other ones are now even worse of an influence on your child. So we had CPS come to my house in Florida three separate occasions because of uh, some of the communication and actions that other children had did to mine. And they wanted to make sure that my child was not uh, severely traumatized or they wanted any questions or they wanted to get more of an investigation on what occurred. And you can tell that it's a direct influence of what happened in their child, yeah. in their childhood home. And we wanted to minimize that. And so uh, faith-based uh, education was our, our, our primary focus. You're not going to get that in the public school. And if you are a staff sergeant with four children, you cannot <laughs> afford to send them to private Christian yeah. schools. You just can't. And so we, we my wife um, started teaching them, and we've had a, Christ, a Christian curriculum. Uh, for the last 12 years. And um, it's been a huge impact on, on the way that they perceive the rest of their, their uh, lesson. But not only that, we've been in church uh, ever since they were born. Uh, I was in church every day when I was, or every Sunday when I was uh, growing up. Um, it was something that is very important to me and my wife. Um, although I had not been, I'm going to be honest, um, after I left to go in the military, uh, probably the first seven years of my career in the military, probably you wouldn't recognize that I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the way it is sometimes when you're a single male living in a foreign country and you're always deploying and going to war. Um, you you generally aren't modeling uh, Christian behavior. And it wasn't until I moved to San Antonio and I was um, an instructor out there that um, I was having theological discussions with an atheist. And the atheists knew the Bible better than I did. Mm-hmm. And I felt ashamed of that. And I said, look, if I'm going to be a Christian and, and I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps, I've got to know more about what I'm calling this my faith. I just have to. Um, I was planning on doing a master's of uh, 
a master's in finance, uh, but I felt God was leading me towards theology. So I did a master's in theology and finished that about six years ago. And it was because of the conversation I had with an atheist forcing me to, to, to be open about my own knowledge of my own faith, uh, realizing that uh, I was not a good Christian. And so I needed to learn more, and God forced me to go into a seminary. And in seminary, I, I learned. I took a lot of apologetics. I took a lot of um, uh, deep theological discussion or courses like systematic theology, um, church and history, historical backgrounds. I mean, you name it. Um, very in depth. And um, since then, I've been, I think, more equipped uh, to have these discussions with my kids. And so we have. I mean, every week we'll have some sort of theological discussion that we discuss mm-hmm. as a family. And um, it's okay if they disagree with me. It's okay if I disagree with them. Uh, as long as the principle of our discussion is based on um, love uh, for God and salvation. If you and I have a difference of opinion on a salvation-based topic, we've got an issue and we're going to mm-hmm. discuss it even more. But um, one of the biggest discussions that we've had as a family recently is about predestination. Mm. Now, if you uh, believe in predestination and I do not, guess what? It's okay. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to be upset about it. We don't. Uh, that is not a salvation-based issue. And we have those kind of discussions off. And, um, yeah, throughout their lives, uh, they've been involved in all the youth groups. Uh, they've been involved in lots of different homeschool co-ops where they're all Christian-based. Um, I, it, it's, it's hard for me to say that they haven't been forced into Christianity um, because they have. Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, we raised them that way because we believe that Christianity is the right religion. Otherwise, we would have been some other religion. Yep. Um, but we've also let them to make up their own theological minds. So um, I did not force any of them. In fact, I held my kids off on getting baptized until I felt like they really understood and um, believed why they were getting baptized. And then I baptized them in the church. Um, yeah, so they have their own theological perspectives, and they can hold their own in debate, and they can uh, debate and apologize for uh, on their topics all day long. And it's, it's pretty impressive to actually watch. That's awesome. Yeah, I when we when we first met, um, I had actually signed up for my master's in theology. Um, and then I got picked up to go be a pilot in the Air Force. And I was like, well, I don't know when I'm leaving. I can't obviously do that while I'm in OTS. I can't, you know, do classes. So I put a pause on it. And I've been debating whether or not I should go back to it um, for a long time. It's just been one of those, you know, constantly going on here because I thought the same thing. Like, I, I want to be able to um, defend my faith more than. I was physically capable of doing previously, you know, um, and did not want to be a, uh, you know, as the Bible talks about lukewarm Christian, you know, like I didn't like, <laughs> I don't want to be spat out. Right. I want to, I want to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. Um, so, uh, so no, I appreciate that. And I mean, it's, it's, it, I've been trying to do, I mean, granted my kids are eight, four and three months. Right. So, uh, I, the conversations are very different now. Um, I'm not necessarily having, you know, deep theological conversations the way I, I would like to do with, you know, um, 
uh, my friends and you know I, like i'd love to get on on calls with you even just just to talk about those things because i've got another friend of mine that i love getting on calls with talking about that stuff just because it's a it's a good to challenge my brain and where i'm thinking and how i'm thinking and you know um there's uh, funny enough that predestination conversation you know reform versus you know uh, <laughs> uh, versus non-reform you know calvinist type thing uh, with one of my buddies who's uh, very much in the reform side of the house that it's predestination and i'm very much not i'm like no i don't read i don't read it that way you know i don't I don't agree with you, and uh, okay. it's yeah. a perfectly okay. I mean, you know, which is funny to me because yeah. to take it off a little bit, right? So, if you're the person who does believe in in only predestination, then it is a salvation issue, right? Because if if you're not predestined, then guess what? You're not going. So that is your salvation, whether you're predestined or not. Uh, we, yes, kind of, right? <laughs> uh, so. This is the problem that I have with predestination. Uh, number one, how do you know that you are predestined? Yeah. Is it because you believe in God and that you that you've been saved? So automatically, you you have to have been one of the ones that were predestined. Uh, that's either a great coincidence or it's just not the not reality. Mm -hmm. And um, I even have uh, some evangelists and you know pastors and doctoral uh pastors who are they have they all have differing opinions and some of the greatest theological minds in the world in the history have differing opinions you and i are not going to rectify this yeah. situation if people who have three doctorate degrees still disagree um and that's why it's it's one of those things where it's fun to have a discussion and a lot of people they kind of get they can, they can get a little butter if oh, yeah. uh, you don't agree with them and you tell them that they're wrong. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you can read the Bible and the Bible will tell you uh, either one uh, is correct. And it's because on how you interpret what it is. And Ephesians 1.4 is the number one verse that, that uh, people really get hung up on where it talks about how those who are predestined into sonship uh, for those who have been uh, loved by Christ. And it really what it's talking about is, in my opinion, and there's a lot of people out there that have different opinions, that once you have been saved and once you are under the wing of God and that you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you are predestined to, to enter into his family as a son mm -hmm. or a daughter. Um, everybody who has been saved is predestined into the, his family because you're not just... Uh, you're not just saved and you're like, all right, cool, I'm a Christian. You're actually adopted into his family as a son. And that's, in my opinion, what the predestination is mostly discussing. In the book of John alone, 99 times it talks about how uh, people, um, if you love God and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, then you can come and, and, and be adopted into his son. Just in John alone. So, yeah, you can, you can discuss that uh, all day long. And um, but ultimately, uh, you and I can disagree, and we can then we can figure it out in heaven together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a uh, you know I usually talk about whether it's an open-handed issue or a closed-hand issue, right? The salvation things are closed-hand issues. Like if you disagree on those, we're yeah. we're we're not exactly you know brothers in Christ. If you disagree on an open-handed issue, it's okay. Let's have the conversation, right? Yeah, so. and there's you know, I've got a lot of friends that uh, um, are in different religions to believe that they are also going to heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so I, I really try to get into those deep theological discussions with them to try to at least show them, you know, where I believe that they they are wrong. Yeah. Inevitably, 
um, I have faith that I'm right. And that's really what this is all about, right? Is, is my faith right? And if you have a different faith, um, then we could have a problem there. And I, I want you to at least see my perspective and see the data so that you can make your own informed decision. I'm not yourself. I'm not your, your savior. I cannot uh, make you go to heaven. I mean, that's, I mean, that's only God's job. So you got to open up your own eyes to do that. And, um, I mean, some other ways that we try to influence our kids uh, as far as, you know, at least getting them the education to make their own decision. Uh, as they've been going to Bible study fellowship for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know what Bible study fellowship is, it's a worldwide organization where they, um, they come together and they teach all of these different lessons. And they're very, very biblically based. Uh, they have a men's group and they have a women's group, and each one of those has a place for your children. And so my wife and I had been going to those for many years, and uh, unless I was working night because they happened to be at night. But uh, um, our kids would be involved in those groups as well. And so even in homeschooling, uh, we would have them do their BSF studies as part of their curriculum. Um, and that, I think, was a huge factor in at least them getting a you can believe it or not, but at least you're getting a biblical education. Mm-hmm. Make up your own mind later on, that's fine, but I'm going to teach you what it says. And then we also, I also lead, like I said, a Bible study uh, men's group on Mondays because I believe that one of the biggest problems in men today is that they, don't, they aren't good leaders in their homes. They don't they either, one, they don't have the knowledge uh, of the Bible, they aren't equipped to teach, um, they are. They don't have the motivation, or they don't have the education to understand what is actually happening around them. And so we have we created this group, and we started off with like two dudes three years ago, and now we're up to fourteen, and nice. we're probably going to have to split. And then each one of those guys are going to have to go off and start off their own our own group. And that's the whole point. Um, we're there to disciple. We're there to teach you. We're there to equip you. Um, and you hopefully you will go off on your own and create your own group. And then we can help each other in that respect as well. That we've got to spread it. We've got to, we've got to make men equipped, and we've got to make men men again. Yeah. And uh, I believe it starts in the faith primarily. Yeah. I agree. That's one. That's one thing I've been talking about with my church about. Uh, um, again, tired of seeing forty-year-old boys running around, and especially in the church. Like it's not a, you know, like it, <laughs> we should not be modeling our behavior in the church off of the world. Um, uh, but for some reason, that is uh, where we've our, our our men have modeled themselves, as opposed to looking into, you know, the men of the Bible. Um, you know, uh, look at David alone, right? I mean, granted, he made some major mistakes in his life, but man, was he a warrior? He was uh, a leader. He was um, a lot of things, uh, and and you know, it just is a. We need to model our behavior in a better way than the world has has shown us. So, um, I yeah, appreciate what you're doing there. Looking- and you can look back at, at biblical figures, and even the greatest of them uh, were not good enough in God's eyes. Yeah. For example, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised yeah. land. David wasn't allowed to build a temple for Christ mm-hmm. for God. But none of these, none of the, all of these guys failed, and ultimately, uh, all the kings of Israel inevitably failed because um, they all wanted a human to, to lead them when yeah. all they really needed was God, and they didn't have to see that. And so yeah, our, our group, our men's group, is not church-affiliated. We, we probably have five different church groups that all attend with us, and I think that actually gives us a bit more flexibility to reach more people in that For way. Sure. So it's awesome, and I love it. 
and um, we're gonna right now we're going through the entire Bible in a year, and uh, it's chronologically, which is a pretty interesting study. Oh, I bet. That. And uh, it's a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, I. Uh, um, it's funny. My my au pair actually recently said that she wants us to do Bible studies as a family and be included in that. And you know, it was kind of a, a punch in the gut for me. Like, well, yeah, you should be doing that. You you dang knucklehead, right? So <laughs> when your au pair has to come up and tell you that you should be something that you're doing, um, you know, because I feed myself, but it doesn't mean that I'm feeding my family the way I should in that in that realm. So, I'm a, yeah, yeah. yeah. But man, this was a fantastic conversation. We went all over the place. Um, but uh, is there anywhere that like you feel like you are uh, needing help in as a dad, as a business owner, as uh, as anything? Whether whether it's something that I can I can help with right on the spot, or whether you know maybe we can get a comment or two that uh, uh, that might be able to provide some insight. Is there anything that you're working through right now that you feel like you need some help in? Not necessarily. Um, I think that we pretty much got a handle on however it is that we decide that we want to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a plan on either direction that we decide to go, uh, and that's not difficult, but um, if you guys ever need a decent realtor, uh, my wife is absolutely phenomenal in this area. Um, she she actually just uh, finished a house. This is a funny story. You've got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but my brother, um, she just bought or helped my brother buy a house here locally and because uh, he just PCS in here. From, he's a lieutenant colonel here. And uh, just PCS in from Florida. And he's one of those guys who's very, very smart. Um, he did not see the value in a good realtor. He just mm-hmm. uh, when he was in D.C., he tried to sell his own home. And um, within the first week, he ended up hiring a realtor and having it sold the next day when he had zero showings on his own. Yeah. Um, he had a, uh, a below-par realtor down in Florida. And my wife had to jump in to kind of help him with this whole transaction. Uh, because he just was not getting support, or at least education that he needed to sell his house directly. And so on the way here, my wife did, I mean, everything. She's full service. So she would do all the videos, the showings. Um, she knows everything about electrical panels, plumbing. I mean, she's done her research. She knows it. And um, by the time that he closed, he comes up and he's like, look, man, I just, I know Megan's family, and, but I got to be honest, she did a absolutely phenomenal job. He's like, I did not see the value in a good realtor mm-hmm. until I had a great realtor. Yeah. I think most people don't understand because most of the time when you see a realtor, you're going to see somebody who just, you know, put your uh, property on the MLS. They let you know when you got an offer and all right, sign the contract. That's pretty hands-off approach. And that, I think that's what a lot of people end up doing. But when you have one who is all on board with making this transaction as pleasurable and as easy as possible, it's a lot of effort on a realtor, and they they earn their commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is one of those realtors, and she's amazing. Um, so if you ever if you need some sort of that type of thing in this area, feel free to let me know. Or if you have properties in Dayton um, or in the surrounding areas and you need help with those, uh, let me know because uh, you know what I do. Awesome. Well, um, two things on that. One, uh, over at ADPI, uh, that company that I uh, that I, I'm with, um, we are always looking for good military affiliated agents. So let's definitely connect and try to see if uh, um, we can make something like that happen as a as a, a solid referral partner out there in the Dayton area. Um, but two, if somebody does want to reach out to you to get that, what's the best way for them uh, to reach out to you, whether you or your wife, to to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is by email, probably. Uh, readcustomwoodworks at gmail.com is pretty easy. 
Um, you can also send me messages through uh, Facebook or Instagram. I'm on both of those. In fact, you can see all of my work on both of those platforms. Uh, I do post some videos on YouTube, but I don't use that. Uh, and as far as my wife goes, um, she you can also reach her on Instagram as well at me realtor, and um, she's also on Facebook. And he also has three, you know, but I don't have. A you said at me realty. Me realty. Yeah, okay. that's what she. That's what she uh, has on Instagram, and I can okay. her email if you want it. Yeah, we could, uh, we'll put it in the show notes as well. I mean, if you if you have it now, that's great. If not, then we'll just have it in the show notes so people can find it down there. So, um, Yeah, so her email is movewithmeganreed at gmail.com. M-E-G-A-N? Yes, sir. At gmail. Awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully somebody will reach out and get you guys connected and uh, go from there. But Dan, it was uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you some more. Um, you know, going a little deeper than uh, even we did uh, back in the day. So I look forward to uh, some further chats on the, on any of these fronts. Uh, but stick around for a minute. We'll, I'm going to chat with you a little bit offline. But uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you again, Dan, for uh, for jumping on. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Later. Thank you so much for listening to the Biz Dad Podcast. We hope you found some value in your time here with us, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share so you and your friends won't miss our upcoming episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Rumble, where we continue these discussions and share more valuable content. Be the dad you know you need to be and run your business in a way you're proud to share with your kids. Keep crushing it.